sometimes I kick myself. I mean, like I'm doing backstroke in the pool and I look up on the wall and there's my name up and I go, holy cow. That's pretty, <laughs> wow, that's pretty impressive. So. Unity. 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 Podcast. By Embryo Crutchfield, a project by the WKU Talisman. In this episode of Unity Podcast, we have Coach Bill Powell. He helped bring the swim team to WKU and also now is my swim coach. I really don't remember the first time I went swimming. It was before my dad bought the house on the island because I remember him taking me swimming somewhere. And my dad taught me to swim. Um, but then he, we moved to the island and... You had to swim. I mean, we had a boat, but I was the fourth of four kids, and uh, my dad told me when I was seven years old that I couldn't take the boat out alone until I swam all the way across the lake by myself. And the lake was about a half mile across, and I did it because I really wanted to take that boat out alone. And then I got to swimming across, got to where I swam across the lake almost every day. I'd swim across, especially when I got older, I'd swim across the lake to go swimming. And people would say, well, why are you swimming across the lake to go swimming when you can swim off your front doorstep? But the public beach was across the lake and there was girls there <laughs> and so my brother and I would swim across the lake and and uh swim all day and then swim home so it's just a way of life for us that's a pretty far distance how long did it take for you to build your stamina it wasn't very long I think I made it across that lake by the time I was eight or nine. Oh wow yeah, so um but and we did we swam basically every day and uh and then of course when we got to high school they had a high school swimming team and quite natural that we would get on the team my older brother was on the team so I had to be on the team and and uh actually in high school my favorite sport was track track and field and uh but I, I like swimming of course too I did both of them but I was really better at swimming than I was at track how has swimming led you into it being a coaching and it being your career for life when I was 12 I was I went to school in a factory town and most of the kids quit school at 16 and went to work in the factory. This was in the 50s. Uh, my freshman class, I can't remember the exact figures, but we had somewhere around 400 kids in my freshman class, and about 180 of us graduated. So more than half dropped out of school. And uh, I had a class in the seventh grade called Vocational Information, and the teacher took us to the factory to see what we were going to do when we grew up. And we went all through these factories, and these poor guys were in black shirts and black pants and standing over fires and sweating and it just looked terrible to me and so I I went out and then the teacher said you have to make a, a term paper on what you're going to do when you grow up so I went home and we had one police officer in the family and he was shot and killed in the line of duty with my uncle and so I went home and I said to my mother I got to do a, a term paper on what I'm going to do when I grow up and I don't want to work in those factories so I said I'm going to do it on either being a cop or a coach my mother looked at me and she says, you're not being a cop. <laughs> and she said, we had one in the family, it was one too many. So I did a term paper on being a coach when I was in seventh grade, I was 12 years old. And I'm still doing it now that I'm 80. <laughs> so I guess it was the right thing to, for me to get into. But it was just kind of natural because I lived around the water. Uh, just being around the water was a way of life and it just has continued. I mean, now I'm living in landlocked Bowling Green. But, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I grew up on and near the Great Lakes and just it was always a way of life. And how have you learned personally from being a coach? Well I think it's taught patience because you really have to have patience as a coach and I, I always loved the kids. There was never a problem with the kids I'd, and I love the kids no matter what they were. I had some thugs <laughs> and I had some great kids. I had four O students and I had OO students and I didn't like one better than the other one. And uh, I had a lot of uh, international students and loved them. And so, I, I mean, I can honestly look back and think of 
of 60 years of coaching and not be able to think of somebody, a kid that I didn't like. And no matter how they were, what kind of kid they were. And if they were bad kids, I tried to straighten them out. I always tell the story about one of my favorites. It was my first year of coaching in high school. And I was teaching in the junior high. And I had this boy who was a good-looking kid. Um, he came out for the swimming team. And he was the best kid on the team. He was only in the ninth grade. But unfortunately, I didn't have him the next year because he was in a reform school because he got caught breaking and entering during the summer. And he was from a terrible, terrible home life. I mean, uh, just awful. You, uh, I wouldn't even say publicly what his home life was like. It was so bad. And um, so towards the end of his sophomore year, which he spent in reform school, the I don't know if you call it a warden at a, at a reform school or whatever, the head of the reform school called me and said, we got a boy here and gave his name. And, and he said, I think he's got potential. He's a pretty good kid. And we want to let him out, but I'm only going to let him out if you let him back on your team. And I said, absolutely, I'll let him back on the team. And so... John comes out and comes back. Now he's a junior. He's lost a year swimming. He's not the star anymore. He's a little bit meaner because who he's been with for a year. And uh, kind of quiet, kind of a quiet kid. But he was sitting in English class. We were starting the season, getting ready to go. He was doing all right. He was sitting in English class, and the English teacher said something he didn't like. I don't even know if it was towards him or what it was towards. So he very quietly pushed back his chair went to the front of the room and decked the English teacher and just punched him out. <laughs> well, that was the end of his schooling. Yeah, so I never, <laughs> I never really got to see what he could do. And then a few years ago, and I see this was all 60 years ago. because It was 1960. And uh, I, I was got to talking about him or something. My son was here. And of course, you know, nowadays, if you want to find somebody, you just look him up on your phone, which <laughs> I don't do. My son goes, there he goes after him. Well, I found, of course, I'd never heard. I, after he got thrown out of school, I saw him a couple times, like downtown. Mm-hmm. One time he was sitting on a park bench, and he yelled. I was going, driving by, hey, coach. So I found the first park place and went and sat on the park bench with him and found out shortly. And we had a nice talk about what he was doing. He was sitting right next to a phone booth, and he had jimmied it in some way. And people would come and put their quarter in, and, and then it wouldn't work. And they put another quarter in, bang on it, and they'd walk out. Mm-hmm. And he'd get up, go in the phone booth, and do something. Clink, clink. He said, hey, listen to this. And he's had a whole pocket full of coins. So anyway, that was the last time I saw him. But um, anyway, my son Googled him and found him. Somehow he ended up in Kentucky and commenced to pull off the biggest drug heist in the history of Kentucky. Okay. It was, And it gave fact that I don't remember the fact, but it was like, 80,000 pounds a pot or something. It was just unbelievable figures and unbelievable money figures. And he's in Eddyville, in the state prison in Eddyville. Oh, wow. And so, of course, when I read that, I said, I want to go visit him. And my wife says, don't go visit him if he finds out we live in Kentucky. When he gets out, he'll come rob us. But I don't think he would. But And I haven't done that yet. I even talked to the chief of police at the Western. He, I just happened to be chatting with him in the locker room. And I told him, he said, you should go see him. You know, He said, I can help you out. He said, I can look it up and see. And you know, I would probably have to call the prison and say, can he have, have visitors? And is it wise for me to do it? But I just haven't gotten around to do it. And I kind of wish I would. And that's probably been four or five years. And I don't even know if he's still there. But I assume for a crime that big, he's got quite a few years. So. <laughs> but I would like to visit him and just... I don't, you know, I'm, I'm sure you'd remember me because, like I said, I was the only adult that would talk to him, you know. And so, I'm, but it's been 60 years ago. He's been through a lot of pot and drugs since then, <laughs> so I guess he'd remember. But I, but that's, you know, that's a 
typical example, and I've got kids that have gone on to be so screamingly successful, you know. So I've had all kinds, <laughs> and I wouldn't trade it. Swimming has definitely been a very important part of your life. How has it guided you through your life journey? Um, health-wise. I mean, I, I'm in great health. I'm, like I said, I'm 80 years old. I swam the fastest mile in America this year for uh, somebody over 80. And um, I feel good all the time, you know. And I usually walk to class, which is only a mile there and a mile back. But I walk to class, and then I take my swim, or sometimes I take my swim before I walk. And uh, I try to swim almost every day. And I still weigh 100 and right around 170 pounds. And, um, I, you know, I can still touch my toes and things like that. <laughs> so I'm still fit. And I, and I, you know, owe it all to swimming. And um, I always tell the story of my back surgery. I had a terrible uh, back injury, uh, I think, when I was 75. And I didn't know what to do. I, was, I mean, I was, I was just dragging my legs and take both hands and put one foot in front of the other one, you know. And so finally I went to a doctor, and, and he said, you, you need surgery, but I won't do it because I'd lose you on the table. And then I go, oh, my gosh, now what do I do? You know, I don't want to die, but I don't want to walk, you know, be like I am now. So my son was talking to a doctor down in Nashville, and um, just not talking about me. They were just talking, and the doctor told him that he said they brought us a woman from Iowa, 92 years old, hadn't walked in three years. Now we got her going up and downstairs without a cane. And he said, that, you know what the doctors in Iowa told her? They told her they'd lose her on the table. So my son said, well, that's what they told my dad. So my son called me and says, Dad, you got to get down here. And, and he told me that story. And he says, now, the doctor says he uh, got his degree at Vanderbilt. Then he went on to med school at Stanford. And then he worked for the Mayo Clinic. Now he's back in Nashville. And he swam for you for 20 years. <laughs> he was a kid. I taught to swim at five here. Loved swimming, swam all the way through high school. And, of course, he didn't go to Western and swim for me. He went to Vanderbilt and swam. And, and then when he got – and every summer he'd come back and swim for me in the summer. And then he went to med school. He was still swimming for me even when he was in med school. So he literally swam for me for 20 years. So, and, but he's not a surgeon. But he got me down there and introduced me to this surgeon. And he had briefed the surgeon. So the surgeon knew something about me. And, and I, I'll never forget, but the first thing he said to me, he sat me down, and here I've been told I'm going to die on the table. And he says, so, he says, I understand there's only three men in the United States that are over 75 that can still swim a mile under 30 minutes, and you're one of them. And I said, yeah, you know, kind of embarrassed, yeah. And he says, then we're not going to have a problem. The difference, because I swim, it went from dying on the table to because I swim every day, it's not going to be a problem. It was kind of a problematic surgery. I was unconscious for 26 hours. And they gave me a, a cadaver bone in my back. And uh, I told the doctor, if you're going to put a cadaver bone in my back, can you find a doctor that was, a, I mean, find a cadaver that was a famous piano player? And then when you <laughs> sew me up, I might be able to play the piano. But it didn't work. Or either he didn't get a cadaver like that. or. But anyway, um, they put that cadaver bone in my back. And I was in the hospital for quite a while begging to get out. And the doctor knew I was disciplined. And he said, I'll make you a deal. If, you, if I let you out, you go home, stay in bed for five days. I said, you're on. And I did. And on the fifth day, I got up, went and got my stitches out, went straight to the pool. And I couldn't dive for a while. I couldn't flip turn for a while. But I just swam easy miles, you know, just easy swimming. And it wasn't, well, that was in May. And in December, we had a huge snowfall. I got a huge, long, wide driveway in the back. And I shoveled it. It was about 12 inches of snow. And I never had a pain. And I haven't had a pain in the back since then. And I, I owe it all swimming because I know... Well, like the doctor said, you know, if, if I hadn't been a swimmer, I'd have probably been dead on the table. But I 
because of the strength, I guess, in my lower back and that sort of thing that was developed from the swimming. And, and I still, and I probably swim even more now than I did before the surgery. <laughs> I, I know what good it does. What would you say the value is in being disciplined? Well, my dad taught me that. My dad was very disciplined and he taught me that. But I, yeah, I think being disciplined is, is one of the big answers to life. You know, you, and, and I think a lot of these criminals and so on, people are having trouble. It's just plain and simply they aren't disciplined. They can't stick to what's right and what's wrong. They don't know the difference. And the discipline is, is just an important part of life. And I always tried to teach that in coaching too, and coaching the kids that discipline went so far. And I used to work the fire out of them. <laughs> and, but they took it, you know. Some of them just that couldn't take it and would drop out because it was just too much work. And I've had more kids call me and write me. I have some great letters from alum swimmers that say, you know, you're the difference. I mean, you taught me how to work, and I know what I have to do. And, and one of them said, when I get, got done with college swimming, he said, I knew whatever I could tackle because nothing was harder than what I went through in college. You know, with the discipline. and the, we'd, we'd, I had two practices a day. We'd, I had the swimmers in the pool at 6 to 8 every morning, and then again from 2 to 5 in the afternoon. And they didn't have much time to do anything but swim and study <laughs> course that studying came first but but they uh, when they weren't studying they were swimming and that pretty much kept them out of trouble. Since you did help with beginning the program of the swim team how did it feel when you heard about the suspension the team would be under? Program? Yeah well I was very disappointed and I, I didn't really agree with the, with the decision of course um, and I, I think it was really unfair to the kids especially the innocent kids and there was only a couple that were really involved and um I mean, like the whole girls' team got dropped, and they weren't even involved. And, uh, of course, I've always thought it was all about money. And uh, they dropped the men's soccer program, and that was all about money. They didn't have no money, and, and then they took a lot of flack for that. And so this time they wanted to make sure that people thought it was about money or wasn't about money. And, but, uh, and it was, you know, a five-year suspension for, uh, well, this one kid that got teased, you know, he kind of brought it on himself. He's begging the older kids to buy him beer, and they kind of got to making fun of him and making him drink it. I guess I don't know how you make somebody drink beer, but I had one swimmer that he never touched a drop of beer. It's four years of college, he just didn't drink. He didn't believe in it, and he was our team captain. And he called me about that, and he says, "How do you make somebody drink beer?" He says, "They'd ask me if I wanted a beer, and I'd say no. That's all there was to it, you know. And that's that's all it takes if you're strong enough, you know." But, but we had, and we had kids, and you get all kinds of kids. And I had, like I say, I'd, I didn't have any hoodlums in college. I don't have any college kids that went to prison, but I had a high school kid that went to prison. Um, and you're going to get all kinds. And I think that was one thing that I could do is bring all kinds of kids together and all be friends. I mean, you see some of them. I mean, the 0.0 kid was best friends with the 4.0 kid, you know, and, and they never thought anything about it, and they never looked down on each other for that, I think, so... And that's what do you what think it'll take to rebuild that team after a five-year suspension? It's just going to take a coach with a lot of patience. Hopefully, and I said this to Dr. Ransdale, I said, you know, you need to hire the coach a year before you bring them back because you can't hire a coach in September and expect to have a team in October. And he said, gosh, I never thought of that. So hopefully they'll think about that. But I would think if they're serious about it, about the, four, the fourth year, they'll hire somebody. I think we're in the third now. And um, you know, so next year they should hire somebody to be on campus to start the program without kids first you don't have to find a coach with a lot of patience that wants to do that and you know I was coaching in high school and loved it but the next step was college I had a lot of success in high school I thought well I don't 
I, I asked, there was college coaches coming to my house to talk to me about kids all the time, you know, about my high school kids. And one of them I got to know pretty well. And I said, tell me about college coaching. And he says, if you ever go into college coaching, you'll never go back to high school. <laughs> and that was good enough for me. And I decided to try college coaching, even though I'm in a decrease in pay. The swim team's five-year suspension is coming to a close. Are you planning to be involved with rebuilding the program? I would go to the coach and say, call on me if you need anything, you know, and and if he doesn't need anything, don't have to call on me. But, you know, if we get a team, I'll be right there. I'll be the first one to come to the first meet, you know. Um, but I, I back them, and I think we need it, and it's just been so great. You know, the year that they dropped the program, we had 18 honor students. We had 11 kids on that team of 4.0s. And then we had uh, seven more that were between three, seven, five, and four. So we had 18 honor students all went to other colleges. And, of course, one of them went to another college and won the NCAAs. <laughs> and we'll see him in the next Olympics. And will you describe the feeling of when you found out or when you went to see that the natatorium was named after you? That was a pretty good feeling, and I had no idea it was coming. And uh, I got called into the athletic office and into the athletic director's office. The secretary called and said, he needs to see it right away. And I thought, oh, man, what happened? I figured some one of my kids was in trouble or something, you know. So I go walking and had no idea what he was going to say. And he, he, and he told me. And I thought, well, I was pretty impressed. I mean, I was, I was pleased, you know. And it was really nice of him to do that. And, uh, and it's, it's kind of neat. Like when I have friends from home or relatives I haven't seen in years, of course, we always have to go and see the pool. Mm-hmm. They all, they all want to see it, you know. And uh, so it's, yeah, it's kind of nice. And, Sometimes I kick myself. I mean, like, I'm doing backstroke in the pool, and I look up on the wall, and there's my name up. And I go, holy cow. That's pretty, <laughs> wow, that's pretty impressive. So, but I don't really think, I don't even see that. You know, now I go in the pool so much, I don't even notice it usually. And then, but like I say, when you're swimming backstroke, you can't miss it. So. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Unity Podcast. You can now listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and the WKU Talisman website. Stay tuned for the next episode.